Hi again, everyone. This is Mark Moksessian. I'm the co-director of the Center for Law and Religion at St. John's. I'm joined once again by my friend and colleague, the Center's other co-director, Mark DiGirolami, for an episode of Legal Spirits, which is our podcast series on cases and issues in law and religion. You can find past episodes archived on Apple iTunes and Android and Spotify and other streaming platforms, and also on our website, lawandreligionforum.org. Uh, how are you doing, Mark? I'm well, thanks. How are you doing? It's good to be um, together. It's good to be together again. It's been a while since the last podcast. Well, we thought today for our podcast, we do something a little different. Uh, this podcast is is not about law specifically, but it's generally in our wheelhouse, I think. We're going to talk about a very famous essay by uh, C.S. Lewis called Learning in Wartime, which Lewis wrote at the start of World War II. And this essay was the subject of our most recent Reading Society meeting, which was led by one of our guests, actually, by by Mark Lanier, who's a very well-known trial lawyer and also Christian educator and the founder of the Lanier Theological Library in Houston, Texas. And Mark brought with him an original manuscript of the essay and very kindly hosted us and the Reading Society at his New York law office. We really are very grateful for that. Uh, And Mark and I, that is Mark DiGirolami and I, thought that it might be a nice idea to do a podcast on it. Now, the essay is a reflection on the calling of the student. And I think, Mark, it's fair to say not just the student, but the professor too, but the scholar also. Uh, And and Lewis asks, why bother to study? Uh, Why bother to be a scholar when there's a war on, where we all have more immediate concerns to think about and we may soon be dead? And Lewis's answer is a specifically Christian one, but I think, Mark, don't you agree that it has broader implications for for non-Christians as well? I think that's true, and and uh, it's, it's a nice reflection uh, f- for anyone, irrespective of a religious conviction. It has perhaps special application, as you say, or special insight for uh, for those who are Christian. But I think it's actually quite quite ecumenical uh, in the in the in the message and what it talks about, and in some ways, it's. Um, its its question is what is the value of knowing? What is the value of of knowledge? Why, why do this um, particular activity uh, when there are so many other uh, concerns? So just as it just as it uh, can reach more people than than Christians, this is sort of a timeless question. Um, so too it also reaches deeper than simply the question of war or not war. The inquiry is about um, uh, more more broadly. The question of the pursuit of knowledge when there are so many other concerns that might occupy and that do occupy our time and interest. Yeah, I think that's right, Mark. So, so let's talk about this a little bit. The, the essay is adapted from a sermon that Lewis delivered in Oxford at St. Mary's Church in Oxford a few days after the start of World War II in September 1939. And Lewis asks the question, which surely many people in that church were asking, Um, What is the point of what we are doing here? What is the point of being students at Oxford University when there's a war starting and the whole nation is swept up in excitement and um, there are grave issues to consider and we will soon be called up and uh, we may soon be dead? Why Why are we bothering to do this? And Lewis begins by answering, uh, Lewis begins his answer by saying, well, first of all, this is the wrong perspective. This is the wrong perspective, because although this seems like a new 
situation full of new dangers and um, new distractions. In fact, it isn't. In fact, it isn't. Lewis says the war doesn't really create any new situation. Uh, the world is always burning. The world always has problems. And the chance for all of us is 100 uh, percent. And so it's not a question of, well, now death is imminent. Death is really always present for us. And so we should be asking ourselves that question at all times. Why are we doing what we are doing. And so specifically, why are we as scholars pursuing this particular calling? Mark? And this is this is why in some ways we 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 say or we we I mean you and I believe that the that the essay reaches beyond the question of war proper, even though of course it is true that at the moment there are uh, major um, actual war, you know, co- conflagrations of war going on um, in, in Europe, in the Middle East, and so on. While we don't have that in the United States, we have had a situation of great anxiety, of great tragedy, of great trouble uh, over the last uh, few years that has, well, in, in, in COVID-19 that has, that has occupied us. We've had, we've had racial unrest and, and uh, questions, major questions of racial injustice uh, that, have, that have occupied our attention where it really has seemed uh, to many, that the world is on fire. That that um, you know, what what are we what are we doing here uh, in the university when there are so many more pressing, more important concerns to attend to uh, in the world all around us? Right, that's a nice point. And we should say, Mark, we first thought about doing this essay actually in the summer of 2020 when the world was on fire for so many reasons, uh, as you say, the pandemic, concerns about racial injustice, and. It took us a while to get this scheduled because of, of the issues involved there, but we were able to, to get this scheduled finally. Okay, so, so Lewis asks the question, well, why should we be concerned with learning? Why should we be scholars? And his first answer is, well, that is the human condition, right, Mark? It is the human condition to want to do these things. That's right. And, um, and it reminds me in some respects, you know, I'm teaching a, a jurisprudence course for the first time this year. Uh, in some ways, in response to what I sensed from students, was precisely a desire to get at some of these deeper issues about the connection of law to politics, to morality, to questions of justice, and so on. And 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 one of the lines that especially struck me um, is was was the, the very first line of Aristotle's Metaphysics, where Aristotle says, "All men by nature desire to know," and and so this is in some ways. Um, picking up on this particular feature of, or I should say, Lewis picks up on this particular idea in Aristotle that is simply a part of human nature. By the way, human nature, which is a very central part of the study of jurisprudence. What what are what is a human being? Um, why does a human being? Uh, why is it a distinct uh, creature? What what are its natural drives? Let's say, or its or its it, 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 what impels a human being? What distinguishes it as a human being from other animals? So this this first uh, answer that he that he gives is in some way picking up the the classical answer that it's it's simply a part of human nature. It it is better to know things, better for human beings to know things than to remain in ignorance. So, but he doesn't stop there, of course. No, he doesn't stop there. He says he says this is our this is our essential nature. He says that you know we 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 want to know the latest poem when we're scaling the walls of Quebec, right? We comb our hair at Thermopylae. We are interested in beauty. We are interested in in knowledge. But 
But for a Christian, that's not the, that's not the only answer, because, of course, for Christians, this is a fallen world. And the fact that you have an appetite doesn't mean it is a correct appetite. And so he says, for Christians, we have to ask ourselves, does this desire we have, is it consistent with the Christian life? I mean, he says, he poses the question, shouldn't Christians just be concerned about the, the next world and eternal salvation? Uh, and he says, no. And he says, he says, first of all, he says, God creates no appetite by accident. And so there must be something useful in this, in this desire to know. But he says, whatever that appetite is, as Christians, we have to reconcile it with our ultimate calling, which is to worship God and to seek eternal life. And he says, herein, is, herein lies a paradox, the paradox of Christianity, which is that this life doesn't matter the things of this world don't matter on the one hand, but on the other hand, they matter quite a lot because we are all going to be judged ultimately for how we have responded to our calling and what we have done. So Mark, how do you, what do you think about that? How does, how does Lewis resolve this paradox? Well, I, I think he, um, I'm not sure that he resolves it, uh, but, but the way that he addresses it uh, ultimately in the essay, he says, look, you know, the, the life of the mind, so to speak, um, is is one life, one life in which when we can be of service uh, to God, in which we can do things humbly uh, in in the Lord. Uh, you know, there are many callings, and and one can one can do things humbly in the Lord without devoting. Absolutely, he's clear about this. But there's nothing um, there's nothing sort of special or, or or sort of distinctively or in a more elevated way Christian about devoting one's life to God in the life of the mind that one can one can serve God in many different kinds of ways but this is one kind of way um, one kind of way that that one that that one can achieve one's calling let's say yes yeah. I'll, I'll just read what he says it's a beautiful passage which tells us all in the in the university world we need to be humble um, he says, I reject at once an idea which lingers in the mind of some modern people, that cultural activities are in their own right spiritual and meritorious, as though scholars and poets were intrinsically more pleasing to God than scavengers. And, you know, that's simply not true. He says, let us clear this forever from our minds. This is a dangerous and most anti-Christian error. The work of a Beethoven and the work of a charwoman become spiritual on precisely the same condition that of being offered to God, of being done humbly as to the Lord. This does not, of course, mean that it is for anyone a mere toss-up, whether he should sweep rooms or compose symphonies. A mole must dig to the glory of God, and a cock must crow. And he says, seems like this is your calling to, to, to the students. It seems like your, your calling is to be scholars. And so you should do it. There's nothing wrong with doing it. Don't be proud. Don't think your calling is any better than anybody else's. But there's nothing wrong with doing it. And um, I think, uh, as you said, Mark, it's it's as long as you do things humbly in the Lord, you can pursue the things of this life. And and in fact, Mark, I, he even goes on to say, once once you're pursuing this particular calling for, for your own glory, you know, for your own, uh, then it's time and in, in a sort of a memorable phrase to to tear one of your eyes out, right? To uh, it's time to stop at that point. And so I, um, in some ways, there's a there's a memorable uh, reminds me of a memorable moment in a movie um, called Chariots of Fire from from years ago. I don't know if you remember it, Mark. Oh, sure. 
um, where and there's a there's a line attributed to uh, Eric Little, who is this person who is an exceptional runner. Uh, and and he says, um, and I think that the attribution may act, actually be apocryphal, but it's still a great line, which I think reflects or evokes some of Lewis's essay. He says, um, uh, when I run, I feel God's pleasure uh, throwing, you know, flowing through me. And I think that that's a very um, uh, lovely uh, uh, metaphor for sort of understanding what it is that, you know, not only that one can offer to God, but that one can reflect God's own nature uh, by pursuing one's talents uh, in a way that that is pleasing to him. Yeah, I think that is nice. I hadn't thought about it till just now, though, Mark. But that might be a movie for us to watch um, uh, with with our with our students, because in some ways, it's it's all about desiring religious exemption, right? Isn't that the point right. of the movie? He doesn't want to run on the Sabbath. That is true. That's exactly right. Uh, and 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 he's not granted that exemption, actually. Uh, right, he's not granted. Runs in his place. Um, yeah, I haven't seen anyway, it for let's, a long let's time. Come back to the, let's come back to the essay itself. It's no, sort of... I, haven't, I haven't seen that for a long time. I should see the movie again. <laughs> so um, so, so the, the idea then is that even, even though the war uh, isn't anything new, um, it does sort of, um, how to put it, raise the stakes, I suppose, right? Uh, make, make our fate more immediate to us or... Uh, make things more acute uh, than they otherwise would be. Yeah, he says he says it's kind of a reality check, which is, you know, in fact, as he begins the essay by saying, we, we talked about this, that this is human nature. It's human life. Life is always precarious. The world is always burning. And it's it's simply a kind of myopia that doesn't see that the world is always difficult and terrible. And we should always be asking ourselves why we are wasting times on time on trivialities like study when, when there are so many more pressing problems in the world. Um, but he says the war is good in the sense that it, it reminds us of this. You know, a lot of times he says the reason we don't think about these things is that we just distract ourselves. But we should think about the wise person always knows that life is short. It's just that the war, he says, now even the stupidest person <laughs> knows this. That, that's his phrase, not mine. This, even the stupidest person knows this now, that, that, that life is short and you have to, to do something with it. And I found this was always, this was interesting too, I think, in what he said, Mark. And now that you know, I'm at that stage of life, I guess, he says, you know, even in middle age, you see how many things are closing to you, that you, know, you just don't have time to pursue many worthwhile things. I think that's right. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm 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 headed there <laughs> myself. Also. You're with me too. <laughs> and and uh, right, distractions are always present. But you know, another another line that that really uh, stuck with me is that excitements are always present. There's always, and this can happen. I think particularly in law, in the, as that law is an academic field, where there's always the next lawsuit, the next Supreme Court case, the next controversy that stimulates the sort of popular excitement. And then you can, you know, people are going, are screaming about it on Twitter one way or the other. And all of those, he says that he says, you know, excitements of one kind or another, are one of the great, the great enemies of, uh, of the pursuit of, of, um, of the life of the mind and has to be guarded against. You have to sort of, he recommends a series of, of mental exercises to, um, to avoid the the stimulus the the bad stimulus of these various various excitements so so that's one enemy and, and another one is sort of despair <laughs> in some ways which is the one that you're talking about well we'll get to despair I think that uh, as you're talking I'm reflecting of course C S Lewis wrote this you know decades before Twitter 
But I mean, Twitter is, of course, that's what it's all about. It's the next exciting new thing, the next shiny new object that's going to distract your attention for a few hours and keep you from getting down to doing the serious work that you should be doing. You know, I think that's that's really a very important point, Mark. Well, he also, so he talks about excitements, he talks about frustrations, and then he talks about something else, which is, I think, very interesting. And he says, the other thing that the war makes plain to us is just how fallen this world is, just how how bad this world is, how, how one can be called away from one's pursuits, one can have one's dreams shattered, one can have one's life shortened by, by things you didn't expect. And um, and he says, this is also very useful to know. Uh, now, he makes this as a specifically Christian point, and um, he ends on a specifically Christian point. After all, this is a sermon. But I wonder if some of our listeners who are not Christians might not find this same kind of, uh, th- this same, the same observation important to reflect upon. And let me just read how he, how he closes the essay. He says, we see unmistakably, he's talking about the war, what the war has done. He says, we see unmistakably the sort of universe in which we have all along been living and must come to terms with it. If we had foolish, unchristian hopes about human culture, they are now shattered. If we thought we were building up a heaven on earth, if we looked for something that would turn the present world from a place of pilgrimage into a permanent city satisfying the soul of man, we are disillusioned and not a moment too soon. He's actually, he's alluding there to Hebrews in which the author says, here we have no permanent city. But uh, isn't it true of life right now, Mark, when we look around the world, if we had hopes about human culture, if we had hopes about a kind of utopia on earth, it's pretty hard to see how they have not been shattered by events of, of recent years and recent months. Well, I, I, I tend to agree uh, with you. And, and, um, and of course, um, those those kinds of events, terrible events, can can stimulate various sorts of responses. I think in in people, some people will will search for the utopia all the more um, vehemently, or with all the more determination, or insist that uh, that it's out there and that that the destruction and the problems that one sees around oneself are all the more reason to find such a solution. And and others will respond as you suggest differently um, that that um, that such solutions aren't to be found uh, in this world. Um, that is that is in fact it seems to me that the one of the kinds of Christian uh, responses, the Christian response that that Lewis suggests, and uh, you know it picks up on something on another book that we have talked about in our reading society uh, in the City of God in Augustine City of God, where absolutely. Right where where Augustine distinguishes as between the city, uh, um, the, the the heavenly city and the, and the earthly city, and says, you know, for the Christian, um, we are we are not destined. Christians are not destined to be of this world, um, and we have to sort of always keep that in mind. Yeah, well, so what you were talking about, I think, is is the as you said. So this is a terrible world. Our our hopes for human culture and human goodness are largely shattered. Um, so the one response might be work even harder, but that's kind of silly. The other response would be just give up and despair. But but Lewis suggests that's also silly. So the fact that we are not permanent residents here, we as Christians, here we have no permanent city, doesn't mean you just, just don't do anything, just kind of wait around for the end or hope entirely in the next world. It is 
pursue your calling, whatever it is. If it's to be a scholar, be a scholar. If it's to be you know, um, a delicatessen worker, be a delicatessen worker. If it's to be a doctor, be a doctor. If it's to be a driver, be a driver. I mean, do what you do and, and leave the future to God. You know, do your best, leave it to him. And here's how the essay ends. Remember, he's talking to the students. But if we thought that for some souls and at some times, the life of learning humbly offered to God was in its own small way one of the appointed approaches to the divine reality and the divine beauty which we hope to enjoy hereafter, we can think so still. That is, that even the ugliness of this world should not prevent us from, from deriving joy from our calling. Right. No, it's, it's, a, it's a lovely message, and it's a message in its uh, controlled way of, of hope, it seems to me, of, of hope for, uh, for, one's, for one's life here uh, and ultimately for one's for one's life elsewhere. Right. I agree with that. As I say, it's look, Lewis was a Christian. He was this was a sermon. He was writing a specifically Christian essay. But I do think that that the, the question here about, well, why are we doing what we are doing, especially why are we doing what we're doing in this terribly fallen world in which we are living I think that really should occur to everybody. And um, okay, not everyone's going to accept this Christian answer, of course, but it's, I think, important for everybody to think what his or her answer would be to that question. No, I, I, I quite agree. And I think Lewis's description of the sort of immediacy of, of the, the coming of these questions during times of struggle and, and strife, I mean, I think just as a sort of descriptive, uh, as a description of, of what I've seen, for example, from some of my students, many of my students over the last few years as, as, a, as an, a sharpening or a, or a more acute interest in these kinds of matters. That's, that's correct, Mark. That's true. I, I don't know if, if, you, uh, if you agree with that, but I have seen a, a great increase in these kind of more these deeper, uh, more existential sorts of questions about what the function and purpose of all of, all of our learning might be. Well, in fact, Mark, I was very gratified by the response of the students in the Reading Society who really took to this essay and wrote to us after and wanted to talk about it more. Um, some of them are going through war in their own uh, family lives in other countries. And I, I, was, I was impressed with how much this essay, written whatever it was 80 years ago now, had on people even today, which is why I think these, these questions really are timeless. And I'm glad that we did this essay. No, I, I absolutely agree. Okay, listeners. Well, as I say, this was a little different for us. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. I guess the next one, we'll probably get back to uh, our, our more normal agenda of cases and such, but I think it was important to talk about this. So uh, for now, this is Mark Mopsessian with my friend, my colleague, Mark DiGirolami for another episode of Legal Spirits. You can find past episodes archived on your favorite streaming platform and also on our website, lawandreligionforum.org. See you next time.